everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Greenlit, where we break down how well-known television and film projects get made and the people behind the scenes that help push them over the edge. Uh, today, I'm talking with Jack Bender. Jack's a, a legendary producer across both independent as well as studio-level projects uh, over the last several decades. Uh, we've had the pleasure of working with Jack over the years and knowing him as a friend and colleague. And first off, thank you, Jack, for taking the time out of the day. My pleasure. Great to be here with you. Well, let's start uh, maybe at the at the beginning in terms of how you got into the business, what drew you to it, uh, and perhaps even a little bit more on some of your story around how much you've seen the business change as obviously you've had a, a number of very well-known projects that have had, again, studio backgrounds down to independent backgrounds and how you've seen that ebb and flow throughout your career so far. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a journey, uh, almost about thirty years, uh, independent and studio films. I've uh, started out in Detroit and uh, doing uh, comedy concerts with my brother Mike, who was a stand-up at the time out here in L.A. And he came back to Detroit, and we decided to uh, put together some comedy concerts and promote them, do live concerts, and so. I uh, started doing that, brought out some comedians from here, uh, Tim Allen, Paul Rodriguez, Dave Couillet, and uh, Mike. And we uh, we put together a night of music and comedy and did live performances. And surprisingly, or not too surprisingly, that did quite well. And we had success with that. It was called the Detroit Comedy Jam. And uh, it's a long story, but in brief, uh, George Carlin, we approached George Carlin when he was in town and uh, he helped us. He came aboard and helped produce it and sell it to HBO. So that was that's what got me the, in the bug uh, of showbiz. And so I moved to Hollywood. <laughs> what was way. the what was the year, Jack? And, and how old were you? And uh, yeah, obviously awesome. And we can go into your brother as well and your working relationship there. But. How old were you at that point? And uh, had you had any foray at all into entertainment before that series? No, that was the, that was the beginning of it. Mike was young. I was young. I was about 25. He's about five years older than me. And he had left a few years earlier to go to Hollywood and make his way in stand-up. And I was just out of college and uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And we came together to do that. And and I uh, just fell in love with it immediately. So uh, that was my first foray into into showbiz, and uh, just grabbed it by the reins and uh, and loved it. And uh, I, my, I was nicknamed P.T. Barnum at the time because I was out there promoting the shows constantly. And yeah, we had, we had uh, lines around the block, and uh, it was just so exciting to have the comedians come in. And then eventually, after a couple years of doing that, we. Um, we raised independent financing to film one of it. And actually it's one of the first filmed comedy concerts other than Richard Pryor's. And so we raised the, the funding independent, had no distribution, filmed at the Fisher Theater in downtown Detroit. And uh, it took us a while, but like I said, uh, eventually with the help of George Carlin, we got it to HBO and sold it to HBO. So then uh, I moved out here and worked my way up in the business. I started over getting coffee, as you do. Uh, I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, I answered the phone, and they said, we need someone to come on to a Robin Williams special, help us out. And I said, great, uh, we'll send over Jack. He'll be coming over. So I went over and uh, started working with Vic Kaplan in uh, Robin Williams' uh, stand-up specials at HBO. 
And that began a series of years of working on HBO shows and series uh, culminating with uh, not necessarily the news that I worked on with yep. Moffat, Moffat Lee Productions for many years, but in between doing a lot of specials, Emmy Awards, Ace Awards. We did a lot of awards shows. And uh, and then, uh, then I answered an ad in the uh, Variety for the assistant to an Academy Award producer. And I ended up working with Michael Phillips, who produced mm. The Sting and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and uh, helped Michael keep his company moving forward when it was going through a uh, transition and found myself in my first week in the uh, president of production office at Warner Brothers, Paramount, and and uh, several other companies. So quickly deep into the mix and that, so that really cemented me into the business. And my, what, what year was that? Um, just so, so curious and also curious what kind of transition you know, that that type of legacy production company and producer was going through at that time. Yeah, so I that was that would have been about 19, 1985, 1986 when okay. I was producing the comedy concerts Detroit. I moved out here in eighty seven. Uh, I worked on the HBO shows. I transitioned to Michael Phillips Productions in ninety. And uh, and worked with Michael, was elevated to vice president of creative affairs. To, we had open writing assignments and directing assignments across town. It was a, it was a great time in the business. It's excellent. And from there, how did you get into putting your your first independent films or your first films together that that got off the ground into production? Well, I was working with Michael on a on a, a couple films for HBO Cinema Plus at the time, and my brother was was moving on to writing from stand, doing stand-up but also we, we talked a lot about writing and, and he is an excellent writer and he wrote a script called Crossing the Bridge that um, the producers on the film I was working with Michael on got involved coincidentally I'm not sure how that all happened but they came to, came to us and said we want to make this film and we we arranged financing through um it was it was columbia tristar home video at the time okay. was doing financing of independent pictures and that was a, a movie we did uh in minnesota and so i came on board as a co-producer in that uh, i had to leave my job with michael sadly uh but he well understood us and that got me into producing that was picked up by disney eventually and then i became an on the lot producer at disney creative and production uh producer at disney and then they financed um our next film which was called indian summer with alan arkin uh, diane lane uh, kevin pollack and uh, bill paxton and so that was uh we're again well on the way then to make a movie shot that up in canada Understood. Understood. I mean, I, interesting hearing a, a lot of this, frankly, Jack, I didn't even know. Um, so, so, so curious about you know, working on the lots and selling things directly to studios or partnering with studios or HBO. How much does that differ from the business today in terms of streamers eating so much of the pie and also independent financing being so critical to being able to get the smaller films made? Is it a completely different business than what you remember back through some of these stories? 
Yes, yes and no. I'd say the, the walls are higher in both regards. Uh, you know, what what was great was being able to to cycle back and forth between the independent world and the studio world. I've done many independent films and many studio films, and they each have their own challenges, uh, closing deals and arranging financing. And I think those walls have just gotten higher now. You know, uh, obviously the streamers have stepped in to to, to fill the void and the a lot of the world, but as far as the independent films, that's that's still a challenge. And this, the lower budget, you know, under ten million, is is still a challenge to get those up and running. Um, you know, and as the studio films, as as we all know, is just they're making less and less of them, and only bigger and bigger ones. Sure. So I think those walls are higher, and the the independent you know film business remains challenging. You know, I think there's still a, a large amount of investors out there, but then finding the great, the right deal for them with the distribution and, and the foreign sales is, is the trick. So I think that's that's the most challenging part right now, is the the independent uh, foreign sales, and you know, finding the right ma ma mix for sure. a streamer a streamer to pick it up. Sure. Shifting gears, Jim, just for a second, I want to come back to challenges and the ways you've navigated them but i want to shift for a minute into working with your brother which which you've done for, for many many years and my understanding very closely um both of you have had really interesting careers away from each other really interesting careers crossing over with one another how has that been um you know we, we work with plenty of folks that work with family members produce direct write with different members of the family and it seems like the entertainment business is still very much uh, there, there's elements of family and elements of apprenticeship in it very much so even still currently how has that been for you uh, and just again how has it been navigating that as you guys have mounted so many different types of projects over the years yeah it's been a great experience i mean we worked together for about 20 years uh run studio and independent films and it was just a great experience we just we just loved working together and as you can imagine, we developed a, a great shorthand. Uh, at one point, we were just rolling pictures every other year. And we could launch a picture at a certain point. We could launch a picture with a couple words together. Mm. And we'd say, we're doing it. We're going here. We're going to London. We're doing this. We're, good. we're off to the races on this. And we just both knew what to do. We each had our own lanes to work in. And we would launch a picture. And that was our, our, our biggest thing was just launch, getting them launched. You know, we... We very much fought uphill battle of of not falling into development hell, and just accelerating the process as much as possible, and uh, and we were so streamlined it really worked well. You know, I would I was handling for the most part physical and, and finance, and he was handling creative and casting, and together we would uh, we'd work on everything. But for the most part, we had our lanes. And it was a joy. It was a great joy. People used to always say to me, how do you work with your brother, your sister? I could never work with my brother, my sister. And we just never really thought about it. We just we just enjoyed. Uh, Mike's a very funny guy, first of all. So we, it's always good laughs. And we were just both very dedicated to, to making our jobs work. And so we worked many, many years. We were on the lot at Disney. We were on the lot. Then we went over to Columbia Pictures. And we made a picture over at Columbia. Then we went back into independent film, raised independent financing, did about four or five pictures, Alan Rickman, Colin Firth, 
Um, then we went to where we go to. Then we did uh, the upside of anger. Yep. Uh, independent financing with um, uh, a company called Media Eight. Uh, funny enough, I was listening to the, your podcast with with Mark Damon. The other yeah. Day. Mark's a, a good colleague, and he he reached out to us for that picture. Uh, it was great working with Mike because he was such a great writer, and, and he just developed and developed uh, a greater writing style as he went along. And at one point, that was one of the hottest scripts in Hollywood. And Mark picked it up and put us into production. We went and shot that in England for the uh, the, the UK film tax credit. Mm. And then Mark was working on something in Wales at the time. I think he wanted us to check out Wales, but we didn't think we'd get Kevin Costner down to Wales at the time. Yeah. Um, so we we based in London and it was shot in our hometown of, of Birmingham, Michigan. Uh, so that was a challenge. And I had done, I'd already done several sale leaseback films in the UK. Yep. We, did, we did a series of, of Brit comedy fusion that we called it uh, together in England. Um, so I was really familiar with with working over there. And then once they, they set up their film tax credit, that was great. That really made things a lot easier than the old system. Uh, and then we uh, went on to a film called Man About Town with Ben Affleck that Media 8 likewise financed. And uh, uh, Upside of Angle went to New Line. Man About Town went to Lionsgate. And uh, then we went on to do uh, uh, Rain Over Me at Columbia Pictures. So I was back on a lot of Columbia Pictures, which was like being home again, and which is great. They were great people to work with at the time. And uh, made Adam Sandler, Don Cheadle, Liv Tyler, uh, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. It was, uh, it was a, a comedy, dramatic comedy. They weren't... Uh, 100% on board with making because they weren't sure about Adam Sandler being in a, a dramatic uh, uh, film, but he just, sure. nailed it. Adam just nailed it out of the ballpark and, and everyone was so happy that we did make it. But it, yeah. that, that was a challenge. Talk about getting greenlit. That was, yeah. that was a challenge. They, 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 they really, I think I did about a hundred budgets on that movie <laughs> just to prove they, they just wanted me to prove I could do it for the number. And uh, sure. I, I really had to. And, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, really curious, just not to not to jump in, but I'm so sure. curious around some of these huge names you worked with over the years are true old school movie stars, when movie stars really existed and really carried movies, right? You talk about Ben Affleck, you talk about Costner, you talk about Sandler, you talk about Ethan Hawke, you know, on First Reformed a, a couple of years ago. I want to get into First Reformed as really the, the main project to drill into. But if you could speak just more broadly about, if you, you made a comment, Jack, about hey, the, the, the biggest challenge right now seems to be the foreign sales game and distribution and structuring the right deal on that side. From a casting standpoint, you guys have had a tremendous run with putting, again, some really quality actors, but also quality movie stars into these projects. How have you seen that change? And if there's any stories or, you know, Tips, tips and tricks from the trade over the years that you could you could share or impart on on folks that are watching or listening. Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, I was I was kind of thinking about it the other day, and you know, what what's the secret formula? You always have to revisit it, and you know, it it, it sounds cliche, but it, it goes back to the script. You know, the reason we were able to get these great actors is because of the screenplay, and they just wanted it's a project they wanted to do. And the writing was good. I mean, you you watch 
there's so much product out there now. And sometimes you say to yourself, what happened to good writing? You know, sure, <laughs> sure. And, and, you know, yeah, you can get stars and you throw money at them if you're that fortunate to have money to throw at them. But the level we were doing movies at, which was always, you know, at kind of a discounted rate, was we didn't have the the full boat to go. So the attraction was a screenplay. And again, as I was thinking about that, it, you know, hats off to Mike being such a great writer that and a great director that people want to work with. So, Pete, you know, I always say people want to work with people they want to work with. So that's sure. a big help. That's a big help. You just got to be someone and someone with a career that that people want to work with, you know, and the, I think your track record is important in that regard. I've been very attentive to try and make sure my track record remains solid. And for that reason, you know, that people want to work with you because they know you do quality work. Mm -hmm. You don't mm -hmm. compromise and just do things for for any reason other than it being a quality project that you're proud of and that you will be years later, which thankfully I am. But it, again, just gets back to the screenplay to answer your question. It, it's so it's so cliche, but it's so true. It's the sure. writing, it's the writing, you know. And and I think actors that expect and this was back when I was making those films, but now there's so much money in the business from the streamers, and these the actors are so booked and they're getting so many offers and so many projects, and the the talent pool of films that of actors that make a movie go is, is small as, as yep. ever. And so they have their choice of projects. You know, it, it's, I don't think it's about money for them. I think it's about the quality of the project, the quality of the people involved and the quality foremost of the screenplay and the, the writing, you know, is it good writing? And, and I think that makes their job easier, <laughs> very much so, and, and more enjoyable. And uh, I think that's a, a key function that cuts through, um, you know, other offers they might have for more money or, or different teams. Uh, so I'd say that's that's probably remains years on the single most important ingredient. Yep. Understood. Talking just for a moment about you know, that that pool of actors that can actually greenlight a piece of content these days being very small. Is it the smallest you've ever seen it in your career in terms of what actually gets something going? Good question. Um, no, I think there's a lot of up and coming actors. And I, I, I think there's a, we're in a, a period of discovery where there's a new opportunity. Uh, and I think streaming affords opportunities for, for unknown talent to, to, to come into the scene. And with the blurring of film and television, uh, with the streaming world, I, I'd say the stars are still limited. You know, the the, the top twenty or thirty or forty, you know, A-list stars is as limited as ever. But I think there is more of an opportunity for newcomers to come along and stand out. And uh, you know, if they have a great team, a great director, a great producer great screenplay behind them they can they can or teleplay behind them they can stand out so yeah i think it's still very small as far as the independent world and you know there's you know as as we all know there's like five names that will green light an independent picture you know yeah. one of those five names and then on a, on a bigger level you know there's probably 20 or 30 names 
and and they're just uh, so that pool remains small but again i think there's an opportunity finally we're seeing that um that it, it it's not always the a-list top name actor that that can green the green light a picture you know if the package is good if the director is talented the screenplay is excellent uh, I think a, a, an, an actor can have a shot at, at, at helping Greenlight picture. Just a really quick question on this a movie like Rain Over Me. Does that movie get greenlit today? If so, what, what what's different about it than when you got it made first time around? Gosh, that's tough. Um, you know, Adam Sandler was the driving force behind that. Obviously, you know, he was a, a big star at Columbia with all his comedies. And he wanted to make the film, you know, and it was a tough sell, funny enough. Uh, they, you know, they were just were not sure that he, Adam in a drama, was going to be a winner. And uh, he was steadfast and driving on it and wanted to make the movie. And he was adamant about it. And, you know, once he got his teeth into it and we, we approached him about it and talked to him about it, he just fell in love with the role and he wanted to do it. So... Would that get made today? Probably not at the studios. Um, yeah. As a, as a streamer movie, sure. I mean, again, if it was Adam today, you know, with his his star has just only gotten much bigger and brighter. You know, he proved himself with the Netflix deal and he's just cranking out movies left and right and they're all doing very well and they're, they're, he's very happy at Netflix. They're very happy with him, it, it sure seems. And so I think if, you know, when you get to that level of star power, if you want to make that movie, I think, yes, that would get made. Let's shift gears for a second, Jack, onto uh, First Reformed. How did that come across your desk? Uh, and for listeners familiar with the project or those unfamiliar with the project, very legendary writer-director with Paul Schrader and Ethan Hawke starring, ends up getting Oscar nominated, I believe, Best screenplay, if I'm not mistaken, Correct. Jack. Correct. Yes. A A24 distributes, do a phenomenal job on the marketing front, which really seems to be such a strong suit for A24. Uh, and the movie has a really, really great life in an environment where releasing content with independent partners is really difficult. And that film really stood out in a, in a really big way, going through awards season in a huge way. But how did it come across your desk? How did you get involved with it? Um, and again, that seems like such a such a late career win for you, right? After a couple decades of doing this, you said that's a big win, especially with how much this business has has ebbed and flowed and evolved. So I'd love to just understand those pieces coming together and how you sort of see it now in the, the rearview mirror of a couple years back. Oh, sure, great, thank you. I appreciate your kind words about that. Yeah, it was definitely uh, uh, very. Um very happy to work in that movie and and help put it together um so that after i did a couple of independent pictures after being at columbia pictures and uh yeah several yeah independent film raises and a friend of mine who owns a company called atomic arts visual effects company we became good friends met in la through a, a producer friend uh, was on um the Lockstock movies and he invited me up to, to meet a friend of his and we became fast friends. And we were just kicking around the idea. And at one point he was getting very busy with his visual effects company. 
he said, here, there's an office in London, go upstairs, let's form a film company and make movies. And I'm like, sounds like a great idea. And what I was trying to do with the partners that came together, the idea was, you know, instead of this one-off independent film business, uh, you know, let's try and get, let's try and build a company, <laughs> raise capital and keep it flowing. Kind of like the Buffalo 8 model, keep it moving forward and uh, a continuous flow. And so that's what we were trying to build. And so we went out and we put together a, a team and we we put out the word that we were building this company and put all our reputations on the table. And uh, we did just an independent raise in London and raised financing for the company with the idea that we were gonna keep making films. And uh, so we were at some at a certain point we did raise enough and we we had you know we we're trying to find that sweet spot. What's the sweet spot? Obviously, you're always trying to find the right budget level for the market. And we we had good advice from our our sales agent partners, and uh, we were ready to go. So we were looking for project when we we kicked the tires of a lot of projects. We were reading a lot of scripts, looking at a lot of many projects. You know, lots of fits and starts. Um, we boarded a couple, more than a couple that that seemed like they were going, and at the last minute, for some reason, they didn't go. Uh, I remember there was a Jeremy Irons movie we were doing, and then at some point, it didn't go forward. Um, and then, th so the first reform came across my desk and I read it and I was just immediately blown away. I'm like, this is a great film. This is a great director. We've got to do this film. Um, and I, so I went to my partners and I said, this is the one, this is the one for us. And they all agreed and they were all, they were all keen on it, but they weren't sure. They weren't sure about it. And I said, look, it's not going to be a massive moneymaker, but it's going to be a festival darling. It's going to be an awards winner. It's a quality film and and everybody agreed and everybody said, all right, let's do it. So we moved forward. Uh, the, the, the film was was coming together. Killer Films, uh, Christine Bashan was the was the spearhead on the film. And they had had up and down roller coasters trying to get it made. And for some reason, the timing just worked out perfectly for us. We were ready to we needed to spend based on our raise we had to uh we had to uh, uh, deploy the capital and they needed to go into production they had they had time restraints as well so the timing just worked out perfectly um uh, and we had full confidence in the team and we moved forward and we all we all moved forward together and and, and paul just did an amazing job i mean he is just a master and <clears throat> ethan, ethan was just was just a joy to work with and such a professional um, it, it just the, the it was the film really went forward without a hitch. It was really great. And then when it came out, when we came out, uh, you know, it it we, we launched at the Venice Film Festival, and uh, and then shortly thereafter, it became the highest rated and reviewed movie of of the year of its release. And so we we're really happy with it. We're really happy with A twenty four. They did a great job with it. And uh, it's great to see it still out there today, and yeah, got great recognition. I mean, Ethan Hawke just did such an amazing job in that film, and Amanda Seyfried as well. They're just terrific, and uh, just great to work with the, the 
Paul Schrader. He's just just a master. It's great, and I'm I'm so curious when it came to you when it hit the desk the first time. Was Ethan Hawke attached? Was that the, the the scheduling constraint that really had to go pretty quickly? So you guys had to make a swift decision. Exactly. Yes, Ethan was attached. It was it, they had they had lost their financing, or they didn't have enough at some point, and then we came in and replaced it all. Um, and it, yeah, and he had a window, and and so yeah, we had to get in and get out very quickly. We had to move very quickly on it. Absolutely, it was an opportunity. Um, that that had to be seized. It's great. It's great. Can you can you speak at all about you know working with A twenty four and uh, again for um, this generation of you know, younger filmmakers, people coming up now, cutting their teeth, you have that have gotten interested in basically this era's version of Miramax, right? Making cutting edge, really zeitgeisty content, director and auteur driven things that really make you get excited about movies. How was it working with them? I think that that company represents for these these younger generations such a huge you know, sea change, if you will, in independent content, right? They've, they've built effectively a brand and that brand now is across so many different areas of consumer facing, brand facing, but it stands for something, right? Original stories, original voices. And from a marketing standpoint, they really seem like the strongest domestic film and television marketer certainly I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, there I agree. They're they're you know they're the perceived label of our day. You're right. They're like our our, our Miramax of, of days past and they do uh they do a, they have great taste and they're a great team, great people to work with. Um, you know, I they they came aboard early and they were very steadfast and very committed. And I think they did it. They did a great job with it. You know, I've worked with many studios over the years, and you get to learn, you know, how they work and and how the flow works. And they were very professional, extremely professional in every way. And you know, you know, certain regrets. I wish, uh, you know, I think if everybody knew how well received it would be, have been critically, maybe perhaps um, might have thrown a little bit more into the release. Sure. Uh, and and as well with with the, the foreign the international you know i think we got a the film got ahead of itself a, a bit ahead of the the reviews in terms of its release so my only criticism would be that uh, it would have been nice if that the critical reviews and critical acclaim had been a bit more in sync with the release um as far as uh, timing wise and and the spend wise but they did a great job. The marketing materials were great. The release platform was great. Um, Universal released it internationally. Um, yeah, that they, they were just a joy to work with, a real pleasure to work with. And sure. yeah, they're doing quality films. But yeah, that would be my only criticism. That I was like, wow, it, it, there was a slight opportunity missed because it was just so well received and critically acclaimed that if there was been a bit more sync up on the release uh, with that, I think uh, it, it would have even been more widely viewed theatrically. But uh, of course, it lives online and having a great life. Did A24 do the the universal deal? Did you guys do that directly? Just curious who handled foreign on it. And maybe just oh. for the, the wider audience, speak a bit to, to the foreign process for some that might not be you know, as attuned as you and I talk about this all day, every day. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we did that in house. That was a, that was a separate deal from from them. They didn't they didn't take international, so we did that separately. We worked with uh, a foreign sales agent, and uh, re our relationships. We had strong relationships with uh, with Universal and the the, the majors. So, uh, all of us being practitioners over 20, 25 plus years, okay. and so uh, we carved that deal out uh, in house, and. Uh, it, but it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy sell it, again you know when you know it just you get in a certain level without you know patting yourselves in the back you get to a certain level of quality film it's it's sometimes a tough sell you know just very much it's, it's antithetical to the concept that you know a, a higher quality film that that we all had complete confidence in and thought was going to do very well and be very well received and in the end it was yeah. Uh, it's always a hard sell convincing uh, convincing distributors to see that. And again, I think, you know, someone at some point might have thought to themselves there, oh, boy, if we had really pushed this a little bit more, we probably could have gotten a little bit more as well. But we were happy with it. We were happy with the release. Uh, it, it was it was a win. It was a critical acclaimed film. It made its money back plus and it continues to have a life. And it was just, you know, just such a, a crowning achievement for for Ethan and for Paul and for Amanda that uh, we couldn't have been happier with with the way it all turned out. You know, albeit, albeit again, you know, it's hard to anticipate how well something might be received. Yeah, it's always a kind of a we always had a a running theory. You know, get your next film out before your last one. <laughs> is released you know get your next one in production before because you, you never know how it's going to be received so to be able to anticipate how well it was received was was you know no one could have expected it you know we knew it would be well received but not as as nicely as it was and kindly as it was sure Shift, shifting gears again if you don't mind i'm, I'm so sure. curious about your experience in television my, my research getting ready for this discussion. And I saw that you've done a couple of series over the years, The Mind of a Married Man back in the early 2000s, like 20, 20 plus episodes, and then The Comedy Store as well, more, more recently. What were those experiences like in terms of being different than you know, the, the film side? And obviously, I think everyone knows, television seems like it's just eaten the industry as much of it as it can, especially as streaming has really pivoted its model to really be series, limited and long format series focused. What was the difference there? How, how you, did you enjoy those as much? Do you see television continuing to become more and more of what you'll focus on? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Y'all, I, I loved working in television. I mean, I'm a really a film guy, but, but working on HBO, uh, you know, spending so much time as I did working on their series, coming up the ranks, you know, I started out as a PA, moved up as a coordinator and as a production manager and then a, a producer. I had grown up in the ranks of HBO. So when we we sold the series to them, uh, Mind of the, the Mind of the Married Man, it was um, it was it was a transition from we had just come off a series of independent films, low budget independent films. And uh, it was what was astonishing was how much money <laughs> At that time, you know, it's nothing now, but at that time I was like, my God, I could make a movie for what they're doing. They're willing to spend an episode. Right. And so that was exciting. And and it was it was great working with with HBO and working here at Culture Studios, 
what was then the Culver Studios, now Amazon. Um, and it, it was great. It was a, it's a different experience, obviously. You know, you're doing a, a weekly show and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very compact and, uh, and much more, you know, character driven and story driven and writer driven uh, teams of writers. And, uh, you know, it was a comedy show. So it was, it was a lot of fun on the set. Um, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed working on it. Um, and uh, like I said, at the time, HBO, you know, that was the, the crowning years for them as they continued to do. Yep. But it, it was just, I'd say the biggest difference was, was the amount of uh, freedom and the amount of money that was available to make the show, which was great because we could, you know, build the sets we needed to build and, and, and go shoot in Chicago. And the film was set in, or the series was set in Chicago. So we did some, some great shooting there, uh, which was exciting. And uh, no, it was a great experience. It was, it was great. We did two seasons. And uh, then they, we, we were hoping we'd get picked up for a third season. For some reason, at some point, they made a decision not to pick it up for a third season. So we went to London to make The Upside of Anger. And funny enough, they, they called us later and said, oh, we want you to do season three. And we're like, well, we're, we're on to making our, our, our next movie. So <laughs> that boat kind of sailed. <laughs> so, um, and then the comedy store, that was more, that was my brother, Mike. I mean, it, he's the genesis of, of both projects, but he was, he grew up, Mike grew up in the comedy store. You know, when, like I said, when he moved as a kid out to LA, he became the doorman at the uh, Westwood Comedy Store and worked his way up to being a comedian and getting on stage. So he grew up there with all the greats, all the comedy greats. So when when they it came time to put together, he put together the show, he was the right guy for it. He knows all the comedians. He knows the history really well. So he he, he rang me up one day and said, look, I want to do this series. Why don't you come on board and help me out? And so I was happy to, we actually were trying to shoot a lot of stuff during COVID, which was really challenging, <laughs> you know, trying to shut down Hollywood Boulevard, sure. Sunset Boulevard sure. in the middle of COVID. And, uh, and so we ran into all kinds of challenges there and, uh, but we managed to do it. We, we kind of locked ourselves indoors in a lot of places and, and just shot, actually built a little set on top of the roof of the comedy store and, hmm. and filmed up there because it's the only place we could get into. <laughs> and uh and so um so that went to showtime and no that was yep. really really exciting to be back at the comedy store because I grew up there with Mike in the in the late 80s, early 90s. We spent so much time there. Um I used to go sit in the audience of every show every set he did and would critique his act and, hmm. and We'd talk about the the jokes he was going to do and hang out with all the comedians, Jim Carrey, and Eddie Murphy, and uh, Jay Leno, and Letterman, and it was an exciting time. So it was great to be back in that world, and, and that's Mike's world. That's you know, he grew up he grew up in the world of stand up comedy, so it was uh, a natural for him. It's excellent. Well, I, I know. Jack, we're about to be up on time here, uh, but I usually end these discussions with some version of the question of, okay, we've just spent you know, a half hour, 45 minutes talking about really the high points of your career and what you've seen. As you look back on it and you've 
people are listening or watching this that are earlier stage, whether just starting or building or going through challenging times as the industry continues to evolve, what's the piece of advice you offer either the younger version of yourself as you're going through a lot of these difficult periods of, of your own that you were able to navigate, but then also that imparts to other folks as well that are building now looking to, to get projects greenlit? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Um, you know, I, 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 I have these consistent mantras, you know, and one of them is, as corny as it sounds, people like to work with people they like to work with. So don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> don't be someone that's difficult to work with because as, as much as you think, oh, it's all about the material, it's all about this and all about the deal and all about the money, at the end of the day, People work hard in this industry and they don't want to work with people who are difficult to work with. <laughs> and once you get a, a reputation or you're known as someone who's difficult to work with, that just makes it harder, will make it harder on your life. You know, you yes, you can work if you're you're not the most pleasant person to work with, but you're not going to be the first choice, perhaps. So, and but more importantly, it's the material and it, it's tried and true. I've said it before. It's all about the the writing, you know. For me, there's just nothing better than great writing. There's just nothing better, you know. And you can see it, you can smell it, you watch it on TV, you watch it at the theater. If it's not great writing, you know, it pulls you out of the movie, it pulls you out <laughs> of the show. It doesn't excite you. It doesn't engage you. And then great writing, on the other hand, does the very opposite. It pulls you in. It puts you into that that world that we all want to go into. That, that world of creativity of, of another place that only a cinema or, or a great television show can take you. And so it's the writing. It's all about the writing. And then once you have the great screenplay, it's it's about, you know, one of my philosophies has always been, you know, again, easy to say, but just launching film, get the film launched, get it made, do everything you possibly can to move it forward. And you know, get rid of things that are in your way of, of moving it forward and launch the film and don't let things tie you up. Uh, don't get tied up in it. Move it forward. Have, be, it, you know, and, and for creatives out there, you know, know the business, know the business side. You know, as you know, I, I do an extensive amount of budgeting. Yep. And, and I'm very, very, um, very adamant that the way forward is to have a budget that you can take to financers. And that budget tells you a lot about, tells a financer a lot about you and a lot about the movie. And some, you know, people tend to discount that as always oh, just a thing that you need to do. It's not, it's, it's, it's a reflection on you, the filmmaker and your knowledge, <laughs> your understanding. And likewise, your understanding of the business and the finance plan and knowing how films get made, how they get financed, so my advice is to know, understand the business. If, even if you're creative, if you wish to be the driver of the project, then you need to understand the business and study the business to understand how the financing works and you know everything we just talked about. Uh, you know how these how films get made. You know if you just want to sell your screenplay, it's a different thing. But if you want to be involved in the production and move it forward, you need to treat it like a business. It's great. Really great advice. Well, thank you again for for spending the time. Really, really appreciate it. Kudos again. It's a great, My it's a great pleasure. And, and I just also want to say I have just the utmost respect for you and your company, Matthew. I've known you for many years and seen what you've built. And 
just hats off to you. Just congratulations on what a great company you've built. Thank you so much. It means a lot, especially from someone who's done it for uh, for a while and been been around a lot of different versions of what this business looks like. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again. My pleasure. Take care, Matthew.